want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew and chapter 8. We're going to use our Bibles. I find that the Bible, amazingly enough, can preach better than I can. I know it's a surprise, isn't it? But the Word of God will open up and unlock the heart. It's the most dramatic thing. So follow with me in your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 8, and we're just going to read the bottom portion, verse 10. I opened with this, uh, I think it was last week, and so I'm not going to go too deeply into this one. I just wanted to touch on the key thing to get us started. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 10 says this. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now, I want you to understand this passage of Scripture. It comes from an act of faith that a Gentile, a non-Jew, was speaking to Jesus. In fact, he wasn't just any Gentile. He was a Roman centurion, the people who were governing Israel, a foreign army. But this man feared God, and he trusted that, God, that Jesus could work in miracles. And he made this incredible statement. He's saying, no, 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 please don't pollute yourself. Make yourself unclean by coming into my Gentile home. I want you to just send forth your word because I'm a centurion, and I know I've got men that listen to me because I'm under authority. If I say to that servant, that soldier, go, he will go. If I tell that other soldier, come, he will come. He says, you don't have to set foot in my house. Just send your word. It'll be good enough. That is what made Jesus say this. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Father, as we begin to crack open this word, we're asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to open eyes and to open ears that we would turn and that we would humble ourselves before you and say, God, change me. I want to be more like you. And I pray, Father God, that your word will set people free. I pray that your word, Lord God, will set miracles and healings, Lord God, just happening in the church on a regular basis. I pray you'll take us from where we are today, from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much, Katie. What a blessing to have you. Wow, it doesn't take much to please God, it would seem, but actually it is. Did you know that in all Scripture, you do not find a passage in Scripture where God is impressed? This is the first time and the only time where we actually see God, through Jesus, is actually impressed. So much so, he will stop everything and say, hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. Look at what's happened here. Do you understand what's just happened with this Gentile, this Roman centurion? He has shown me more faith than anyone in the entirety of Israel. There, John the Baptist was alive in that time, and his faith wasn't as great as this. In fact, if you go back over the Old Testament and try and find a scripture where God says, I am so impressed with you, you won't find it. It doesn't say that God was impressed when Moses raised his hands and part of the waters and the Red Sea opened. It doesn't say he was impressed with that. The Bible says that God wasn't impressed when Gideon defeated this horde of, this incredible army with only 300 men. God wasn't impressed with that. The Bible says that the only time that he was impressed is right here in Scripture when a Gentile was able to provoke God because of his faith. Turn to the person next to you and say, I want to provoke God with my faith. 
You're all very quiet. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need more faith. Because if we can unlock faith, it begins to unlock miracles in our life. And the Bible says the just will live by faith. If we don't have faith, we cannot live justly, righteously before God. This whole thing we do is impossible. But here's what I want you to grab hold of as uh, I began a, a message last week, how to destroy faith in five easy steps. Okay? We went through them. We talked about taking offense can shut down the power of God. The second key step in destroying faith is withholding honor. Again, you can grab hold of the message from last week. The third step was doubt or being double-minded, being double-minded. You're praying, you have a little bit of faith, you believe in God, but you got doubt as well, thinking, I don't think this is going to happen. God, I pray that you move. I don't think this is going to happen. The Bible says that man should not pray. He should not actually even believe that he'll get what he prayed for because he's canceled it out. Your own doubt will cancel out your faith. And finally, we talked about fear. The most powerful one of this is what we open with, that when we take offense against God, when we take offense against a leader or against a fellow person sitting right next to us and don't believe that when they pray for us, miracles can happen, it actually shuts down the power of God. I am dumbfounded as I read that every year and I come across that passage of Scripture where the Bible says Jesus could do few miracles in his own hometown because of their lack of honor. When we don't honor the person, the vessel that God is using to minister to you, to pray for you, when we're preaching, if you don't receive, if you shut it down, every benefit of that word is broken and is lost. It falls to the ground. But when you are believing in God, that God can use anyone. He can use a donkey. The Bible says that. He used a donkey to speak. God can use me. And if you begin to trust that and say, God, I need to hear your word from me, it begins to unlock something in your heart. The heart is unlocked, and God is able to minister powerfully. But here's the fifth one I want you to grab hold of. It's the word precedent. I want you to write that down. Precedent. P-R-E-C-E-D-E-N-T. D-E-N-T. Okay, precedent. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. Here's the thing I want you to understand. There are varying degrees of faith. Some people have more faith than others, and you know them. These are the kind of people, they are trusting in God. And, and I'll tell you what, if you have ever lived when you have had not enough. I grew up, my parents were in ministry, and there was not enough money. Uh, many times I grew up on just rice and soy sauce. We were so poor. I had holes in my, in my clothes. I had holes in my shoes. And it would only last for about a day because I would turn to the Lord as a kid. Didn't know, God, it would be good to have a new pair of shoes. That's about it. Nothing eloquent. I didn't know how to pray. That was about it. The next day, someone would come knocking on our door saying, Pastor Parditi, that's my dad. And, you know, I've got all these things I want to give away. Just give them to you. think deserves it. And, of course, there was a pair of shoes that fit me exactly. This happened time and time again. People who are struggling, who are poor, will always have more faith than people who have plenty. I know you're thinking, I disagree with that, Pastor. Try it. Just give it a go. For the people who have plenty, in order for you to step out in faith, that's pretty much most of us, it is going to require you being stretched, where you are stepping out of the boat into the unfamiliar. You see, you cannot step into faith into the familiar, if you've been there before, then that is not faith any longer. Here's the thing. I want you to grab hold of this. 
What was faith yesterday is not faith today. What you had to, what you were required to believe in order to step into that new anointing, when, into that new promise, God, I need a new pair of shoes. That faith that I had for yesterday, if I step into it today, it's not faith any longer. It's now become normal for me. I'll give you an example. When you got into your car this morning, did you doubt that the car would start? No. Every one of us believed that when we turned that thing, it would start. But does it shut down other times and the car won't start? Yes. So why is it that you believe it will start every time you get in your car? Because it's happened once. You have to step in faith. Will this car start? Some of you drove old cars, right? How many people have driven old cars before? You know what I'm talking about? When, I, when my wife and I were first married, we, we, we paid $4,000 each for a car, $4,000. That was the extent. I thought, I'm not going to spend any more money. All my money goes into my house. I would rather live in a mansion and drive a bomb than to drive a Porsche and live in a shack, okay? I want to be able to know that I've got a roof over my head. And so we paid four grand for this thing, and we ran it to the ground. My wife, we, we've been with RACQ since I, was, I came in, in Australia in 1990. And when we, when we were married, we had a driveway that was just, it was, we didn't have a driveway. It wasn't a concrete driveway. We had to save up for that, right? So we'd park in the street. We drove these cars. And I remember, you know, sometimes they just wouldn't start. My wife knew the RACQ drivers by first name basis. Hey, Bill, good to see you again. I think it's this problem again. It was crazy. But, you know, those times like they're wondering, will it start today? But for us, most everyone here, you knew that when you turn, you turn the key, the car was going to start. So it did not require faith for you any longer. That's how it works. So faith demands that you go from glory to glory. This step of faith t- today... And tomorrow it's going to be higher. God is going to require more of you. The Bible says there's different measures of faith. Matthew, if you're taking notes, just grab these things. And if you miss any, listen to the podcast. Your faith unlocks heaven. Have a look at this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 29 to 30. A blind man came to Jesus. He touched his eyes and Jesus said, according to your faith, will it be done for you? What if the man didn't have faith? What if that person had doubt? They had faith, but they had doubt. According to Scripture, it would have shut down the anointing. They would not have been healed. According, here's another one. Romans 12, verse 3. At the very end, it says here, the last portion, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. We have measures of faith, and God will also gift you with faith. Some people have a gift of faith, and I don't know how they do it. It's usually required when you are stepping out of the boat all the time, and God comes, and he moves powerfully. Everyone okay? Okay. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. We've got two key passages we're going to look at today, so I can answer that fifth one, the fifth way to destroy faith, precedent. Here's the first one. Exodus chapter 14. Turn with me there. And have we got the scripture today? Awesome. Thank you. Exodus chapter 14. We're going to read a portion from that, verses 10 to 16. Follow with me in your Bibles. The Bible says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They sent to Moses, 
Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? We're talking about Israel leaving Egypt. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. How many people know that when you're in a tough spot, you've got to find someone to blame? Find something to blame. And they're, found, they're finding it's Moses. We'll blame you for this. Of course, they hated the Egyptians. They hated slavery. The Bible says they, they cried out to God because of the bitterness of slavery. So they're outright lying here. But because of the fear, they're blaming someone. Let's go to verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Here's the passage I want you to understand. Moses had now led Israel for the very first time. And there were ten signs and wonders that he performed in Israel that blew everyone's minds. Never before in the history of the world had these signs and wonders ever been performed over a nation, and it will not be repeated again. Ten signs and ten wonders that the world would know that there is a God in Israel. Powerful signs and wonders. And so they... They were able to stand by Moses and realize this is a man of God. God is using him. We can trust this guy. We can follow him. And the Bible says in the passage leading up to this that Moses was going to lead them the way he came, which was from Egypt, which is Africa, North Africa, around the Red Sea to get to the promised land. That's where he came from. But God says, no. I want you to lead them directly to Pi-Hahiroth, which is right in front of the sea, the Red Sea. And so up to now, everything was handed to them. They had blessings. They had honor. In fact, when they left Egypt, the Bible says Moses said to them, Ask the people for gold and silver and precious jewels, and they'll give it to you. And they did. They knocked on every door, and the Egyptians just gave them everything they wanted, everything in their house. It was payment for 40 years of slavery. And so this incredible story as they're just rejoicing and they're singing these songs as they're leaving Egypt, everyone is happy. I mean, imagine the kind of songs they're probably singing on the day. I love Moses. Yes, I do. They probably had shirts printed out. Moses is the dude. Moses is awesome on the back because he was the hero of Israel. And they were thinking to themselves as they came to Pi-Hahiroth, right at the edge of the Red Sea, I wonder what's going to happen now. I wonder when the ocean liner is going to be coming. You know the ones with the swimming pool and they've got the slides that come down? I can't wait for that. They're waiting there thinking, where's the boat? It's going to come any moment because Moses has never let us down yet. It's going to come. Where is it? And they're looking over the horizon. There's no boat. And then something happens. The Bible tells us that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, brings the entire army of, Israel, of Egypt to come and bring the people of Israel back. But not all of them are going to make it. 
Because the Bible says he brought out all the chariots, he brought all their weapons out. They were going to kill a number of Israelites, okay, to teach them a lesson. So they came to kill and to bring these people back into slavery. And the Bible says that when the people turned around, they heard this commotion, a thundering like an earthquake, and realized, oh my goodness, they're coming to get us. The Bible says that the, the presence of God in a cloud that was leading them went from the front and came around the back. And again, I, I don't know if you know this, but I used to think the pillar of cloud was something thin and skinny. I didn't realize it covered miles and miles and miles. The Bible actually says by day that cloud would cover the people so they didn't get sunburned. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty big. So if you're talking about a, a, a skinny pillar, think again. It was massive that reached up to the, to the heavens. Massive cloud. It came behind them, became fire. And so the Egyptians were now stuck. But man, they are screaming obscenities. They're going to kill those people of Israel. And now they're turning to Moses. Moses, what's going on? Where's, where's the boat, man? Oh, it, it, something's coming. Something's coming. Moses, where's the boat? Now the thinking of killing him. And so here we come to this passage, and this is why it's very interesting. There, there, this is a lynch mob. If Pharaoh doesn't kill Moses, the people of Israel are going to kill Moses. That's the kind of moment we're in. And the Bible says this. Moses preaches the sermon of his life. Now, if I could do it, I love African-American preachers. Man, they know how to preach. And imagine this thing as he gets up there in front of all these people. They go, I've got to do something, I've got to do something. And he goes, okay. Do not be afraid. And all people, oh, oh, what's going on? Moses is saying something. Quick, let's listen. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Wow, this is, this is a good sermon. But listen to what he says. Just stand firm. And look at the last line. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Come on. That's a great, that's a great. Don't you want that where you don't have to do anything? Where God does all the fighting for you? Now here's what I want you to look up in your scripture here. Okay, we just read Moses' incredible preach in verse 14. And then in verse 15, God speaks to Moses. I think there's a missing verse 14 and a half. Because by experience, as a pastor, I can tell you, something happened between verse 14 and verse 15. Do you see anywhere in this passage where God says to Moses, tell the people, don't be afraid, stand firm, I got this. Do you see it anywhere in your scripture? Have a look. Where did Moses get that from? Everyone say faith faith. He got up and he realized, I need to do something. I need to say something because this, uh, the people of Israel are turning from a people that I'm, I'm leading into a, a lynching mob. It's changing very quickly. And so he begins to preach. And look at what he's saying. God's going to take care of this. You just got to stand there. God, it's going to be okay. Just stand still. God never said that. So you understand what's happening here is that Moses is writing, back in the day, some of you remember checks. You remember checks, right? You'd write on a piece of paper. In America, to this day, they still use checks. It blows my mind. We, we don't use checks anymore. But they'd write this on a piece of paper. It's a promissory note. I will pay you $50 and sign your name. You can take that to that person's bank, and they'll give you the money. It's a crazy thing. 
Moses is writing checks that he can't cash. In today's equivalent, he's using God's credit card without permission. And he's saying to them, I've got this. Here you go. That's for you. That's for you. That's for you. It's going to be okay. He can't cash it. It doesn't belong to him. This is an act of extreme faith that he's doing. But is God pleased with him? you got to understand this passage here. Was God aware of their plight? Yes. Does God allow hardship in our lives to test what's in our heart? Yes. Some of you are going through hardships and you have not yet recognized it's because God allowed that in your life. You see, it's like weights for us, training ground to build muscle. Because there is nothing that comes against you that God can't destroy, that God can't help you become victorious. And that's what it means by we are more than overcomers. Why are we more than overcomers? Because we know the ending at the beginning. Because the Bible says, he who is for you is not against you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? So when you're with God, you can write checks that you can't cash. Some of you guys, you're still quiet here. You're not getting this. I need you to think about this for your own walk, your own journey with the Lord. You might be going through difficulty now. Some of you lost your jobs, and you're thinking, God, how am I going to pay the bills? you got to write checks that you can't cash. you got to borrow God's credit card and say, God, I need to use this right now. See, the thing is, when you go through struggles, and let me tell you, leadership struggles like Moses are real. The armies of Pharaoh are coming down. They're going to kill him. And fear has kicked into them. And they realize we got two options here. Death or enslavement. Death or enslavement. They're thinking, we're not going to walk away from this good. There's no good ending here. And this is the thing that often keeps people, the people of God, so bound. It's fear. Because we can't do any good thing. We can't believe in faith. We can't dream dreams. We can't have visions anymore. Because faith will annihilate every dream that God places on your heart. Someone needs to write that one down. Here's a key thing I want you to understand. Battles are lost when fear has power over you. Some of you are thinking to yourself, I I can't imagine what tomorrow looks like. I remember a time, uh, not this church, a previous church, where things are starting to get tight. Money was starting to get tight. And let me tell you, it begins to affect the vision of the church because you're thinking, how are we going to do this? How can we forward the ministry that we're doing right now? How can we dream dreams? Faith is writing checks that you can't cash. Faith is taking God's credit card and saying, I'm using this now. Thank you, God, because I know you got this. He's your father. But the most amazing thing is, and what blows me away, is that Moses did not hear from God when he did that. There's a, there's a precedent here. Let's talk about precedence for a moment. If Moses can step out in faith like this, then so can you, and so can I. But was God pleased with Moses? Was he pleased with Moses? Let's have a look. Go to verse 15. It says this, then the Lord said to Moses, there, there, everything is going to be okay, son. Does it say that in your scripture? No. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. 
Nowhere in Scripture does, Jesus, does God say, you know what, Moses, you did a really good job. I'm proud of you. I've got, got another solution for you. Does he say that? No. This is what we call a rebuke. Have a read of it. God says to him, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> Tell the Israelites, move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. You hear that? This is, this is like, I don't know what it would be like for Moses, but I know what I'd be thinking. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Of course I can split the sea and divide it and walk through it. How many people thought you could do that? I've never once in my ministry life or in my Christian life ever thought that I could split water and walk through it. So why is God giving him such a hard time? I want you to turn with me now and move forward to the book of Mark. I told you we'll do some page turning today. The book of Mark, and you're going to chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Is this okay? Is this good? Helping you? Mark chapter 4. Go to verse 37. Just so you know, there's a balance here. Same God in the Old Testament, same God in the New Testament. Mark chapter 4. We're going to verse 37 to 40. And the Bible's telling us that Jesus and his disciples are in a boat. And uh, I'm giving you time to turn there. And understand that half the disciples were, were fishermen, which means they knew how to sail the water. And they knew this, this sea very well. They knew the sea well, right? This is the Sea, Gal- oh, the sea, yeah, sea of Galilee. They knew it. And so they're familiar with it. And so when they're scared of a storm, it's got to be really, really, really bad. So follow with me, Mark chapter 4, verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I don't know why Mark decided to add that extra detail because it doesn't appear in Matthew, it doesn't appear in the other books, just in the book of Mark, that Jesus wasn't just sleeping, he was sleeping on a cushion. (laughs) The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves and said, Shalom, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, there, there, Jesus has got this. Is that that what your scripture says? No, that would be heresy. It says something quite different. Look at what he says. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why is he rebuking them? It seems rather cruel because no one in history has ever done this. No one in history has ever spoken to the sea and it parts and you can walk through it. No one has ever commanded the sea, peace, be still, and the thing dies down. How is it possible that God right now is rebuking them? It seems cruel. I have children. I remember when I was raising up my adult girls and they were still very little. And they tried to make their bed. Sometimes they'd watch mom and dad do it. They just couldn't do it. I think they tried like once, maybe twice. But they're rolling in the sheets and making more of a mess than it was before. So it's like, don't make your bed. I don't even want to ask them to make their bed. They are incapable of making their bed. They can't even stand on the, on the floor and reach to the, halfway on the bed, let alone the other side to make the bed. So uh, what I would be asking them is something outside of their reach. Does that make sense? 
And if I, as a father, spoke to them, Talia, I can't believe you didn't make your bed. There's two-year-old Talia, tears welling up in her eyes. You know, that would just be cruel, and that would be called abusive. That's an abuse for a parent to be screaming at a two-year-old girl, rebuking her because she didn't make her bed. She can't. It's not in her to be able to make that bed. There is no prior experience that she has gained, nor does she have the physical capability. Even if she had the know-how, she didn't have the physical capability to reach over and make a bed. It would be cruel. But see, the problem is we as a people, we work on precedent. We're not lawyers, but we work on precedent. What we understand is if I see other people do it, then I can do it. Or maybe I can do it. Maybe I can't do it, but maybe I can do it because I saw them do it. The problem is nowhere in Scripture prior to Moses does it say that a man can split a sea open and walk in between it. It never happened before. To the disciples, it never happened before that a man could speak to the wind and the waves and command it to, to be still, and it would. It listened to you. Never before. Let me tell you something. I... I, I, as I was growing in my faith with the Lord, I remember the times, I remember teaching my young daughters back at that time. Tali was very little. I think she must have been three. Eden must have just turned five. We went on a holiday, and we were disappointed because it rained on this holiday. It just rained. It was pouring. Now, I had been doing this kind of prayer leading up to it. I've had several occasions where, for example, we had a Christmas concert in a church uh, when I was an associate pastor there. And I remember I began to act in faith according to this word. You can command the wind and the ways to die down. And we were desperate because we're trying to start something new. There's an opportunity. We'd invited the church, bring your unsafe friends and family, bring them to this carols concert because we're going to have a, you know, we're going to share the word. There's opportunity for them to come on the church property, hear the word of God. And so we had a bit of a crowd, which is great about, I think it was like 500 people. But I remember praying because the weather forecast was, it was going to rain. It had rained all week. In fact, where we were going to have it was out in the park where we could have had several thousand. And we couldn't do it because the council said the ground is like sponge, okay? And if you put any heavy trucks or anything, it will squish it down. You can't use it. So we had to drive onto the church property where it was hard ground, park on the, on the, on the parking lot, and have a concert there. But this is what we had to do. We had to pray. But I remember I was very specific with my prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak to the, to the rain and the, to the clouds. In Jesus' name, go away. Don't come back until after the concert is finished. That's what I said. Well, unbelievably, by the grace of God, we woke up that morning. There was no rain, not a cloud in the sky. Oh, come, that's, that's a, praise the Lord. That's good. He answers prayer. And then we had the concert, and I remember we were on the last and final song. We were wearing white. And I remember the moment I struck the last chord on the last song, the heavens opened and we got entirely drenched, absolutely, totally drenched. Did God answer my prayer? Yes, I said, till the end of the concert. So I thought I'd, I'd, I'd stretch it the next time because we were leading a church service, and there was a massive storm in that particular area. And there was a warning over the radio saying, you know, go home. If you're somewhere, go home. I remember one of our leaders is running to me saying, Pastor Paul, we've got to cancel tonight's meeting. We've got to go home because the, the rain forecast. And by this time, next to the drum cage, something like this, there was a hole in the roof and water was pouring down. We've got to cancel this thing. No, no, it's okay. I prayed. 
No, you don't understand, Pastor Paul. It's really bad. It's okay. I've already prayed. I commanded the rain to go. It's, it's going to go. And she, she was incredulous. I said, just, just wait. Watch what happens. Within five minutes, the rain abated. But I was very specific. Come on. But this time I learned my lesson. I said, in Jesus' name, I command you rain and rain clouds go away. Do not come back again until, until the last person gets into their car. Do not come. It stopped. We had an incredible service. God moved powerfully. There were miracles and healings. It was the craziest thing. And then I happened to be the last person. (laughs) So I locked the things up. My wife had already gone home. And so I turned off the lights, got in the car, started the engine, and the rain fell again. Rain all the way. Come on. So here I am. And we're up in the Sunshine Coast. And my daughters, I say, Daddy, can can we pray for the rain to stop? Because I read them this passage, if Jesus can do it, can we do that? Well, and I started saying this. I said, you got to think about the farmers. The moment I opened my mouth, the Holy Spirit said, how dare you? How dare you destroy the faith of my children? I said, they're mine too. How dare you destroy their faith? I stopped myself as I began saying, but for the farmers, I stopped there. I said, you know what, girls, let's do it. Let's trust the Lord. Not my reputation's his. And so these little girls who could barely understand how to pray, I led them in the prayer. They said that. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we command the rains to go away and don't come back till a holiday is finished. As God is my witness, I am not spinning yarns. I'm not, ex- I'm not ex- exaggerating the truth. They prayed, and it was raining that night. It didn't stop. But when they woke up in the morning, there was not a single hint of rain. Come on, you got to give glory to the Lord for that. That it would hear the prayers of these little girls. We got in our car at the end of the holiday, packed up our bags. We were on the highway when the clouds opened up and the storm came. It returned while we were on the highway. The girls are fast asleep. Being the dad that I was, I shook them, op- <laughs> shook them away. Hey, girls, do you remember when you prayed and you said, till the end of our holiday? Well, guess what? And they looked at, oh, daddy's raining. And said, it's the end of the holiday. It seems unfair at times how God can demand so much from you. I've known people of faith who have walked away from the Lord because in the first instance when they pray, they've been praying for a loved one and they're praying for a loved one and they went to be with the Lord and they were furious and turned their back on God. I can't explain why So often I see so many miracles taking place, but there are times when God doesn't seem to answer that prayer. Does that mean I should start to re-examine my theology? Should I shut it down and decide, I guess it wasn't God's will? And maybe our faith begins to begin to shrink just a little bit. And then comes the next disappointment. You prayed and there was no answer to prayer. And then your faith shrinks just a little bit more. I feel the Lord saying to the church today that it's time to throw open the roof in your understanding. To begin to trust God outside the box. I want you to stand to your feet as I begin to close. The Bible says in John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. This is Jesus' own words, okay? This is a red letter edition. Here we go. He says, I tell you the truth. Jesus can't lie. I tell you the truth. Anyone 
who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. If you're wondering what he said just before that, he was talking about miracles and healing specifically. And he says, you will do what I've been doing, but even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you're wondering why when we close prayers we say, in Jesus' name, it's because of this passage. Jesus said, if you will pray in my name. You can trust God at his word. He never lies. If your prayers have not yet been answered, don't give up. Keep pressing in. If you can't see God moving, don't give up. Keep praying. If the situation becomes worse than when you've begun, don't give up. Keep believing. God is just looking to call you up, saying, stand with me here. You're seated in heavenly places with me. Look at what I'm seeing. Look at what I'm seeing on the other side. It's so different. The prayer is always answered. Turn to the person next to you and tell them that. The prayer is always answered. Let me finish with one final verse. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not not a portion of it. All your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Come on. If the Bible says we are seated in heavenly places with Him, then it stands to reason. A man cannot be unseated who trusts in God completely.